I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, good evening, church. We're doing all right. Happy birthday, Canada. You're 150, man. You guys are old. That's, that's old. Uh, hope that you guys are celebrating with your country and kind of the freedom that we actually get to do this. Amen? We are people who get to come to church every weekend. We, we are free to do that. We don't, have any, we don't have to look behind us. We don't have to fear anybody or anything at this moment in time. And so thank you, Jesus, that we get to do this together as a church, right? Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, my name is Jamie. I'm one of the assistant pastors here. And uh, every now and then we like to give Mark a break from preaching. And so you get me. So I'm sorry. But uh, that's all right. Because when you boil it all down, uh, we get to jump into God's word together, right? This is me talking, but this is God speaking, right? Good. Uh, and so uh, we are really excited to start a very uh, new and very cool series where we're going to be going through the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed, you know, I'm going to talk about, about what that is in a few minutes, but every now and then it's cool for us to dig into the liturgy of the church and some of the history of the church. And, uh, and so we're going to jump into that for a few moments. Just want to say... Uh, a few things about some upcoming things. Um, I think in the past three weeks, we've seen five people uh, come to new life in Jesus Christ. And that's awesome. And uh, we're excited to see uh, people. That's really what, that's why we do all of this, is to see people know and love Jesus. And um, in a few weeks, we're going to be baptizing some of those people and some more of those people. And if you are a person um, who would call yourself a follower of Jesus, that you would say that you've given your life to Jesus, but you've never been baptized, you need to be. There is no such thing as an unbaptized Christian, at least not biblically. Uh, and so we would love for you in the back where Pastor Mark and, and Liz are right now, there are these cards that say, I need to get baptized because it's not a lie. It's not just a fun catchphrase. You actually need to be baptized. Uh, we would love for you to find one of these and fill one out. They're at that table in that corner. Uh, we would love to take you down to the Nash Walk and dip you and just uh, celebrate with you uh, to see dead people come alive again, right? Good. Uh, and so that's coming up, and I'm uh, really excited uh, for all that God is doing in and around our church. Uh, we all have questions, though, right? We, we all have questions in life. Maybe we have questions about faith. We have questions... Uh, maybe even about what the Wesleyan Church 
is all about. We all, some of us even have doubts, and those are all good things to have. We all have questions, and sometimes we really want to boil down, well, what do you believe? When maybe someone will come to you and ask you, well, what is it that you believe? And if we were to take all of the churches in our city, and all of the beliefs and the doctrines and all the stuff that's represented within all of those churches, and you put them in a blender, and you mix them all up, and you put a filter under all that soppy blendered goop, and you just filter out all of the excess stuff, what is it that you get? Well, basically, it's the essentials of the faith. Every church is built around a few essential beliefs that make up the whole foundation of every church, every church. And uh, many, many years ago, in fact, in 325 AD, only a few of you were born, there was a council put together in, and it was called the Council of Nicaea. And what this was is there were a few early churches that, that were looking around and there was being, there were some heretical statements that were being made. And there were some claims about who God is that weren't necessarily correct. And all of, these, all of a sudden these churches are starting to say different things. In fact, there were, some of them even believed different truths about who God is. And so someone had the smart idea to get all these people together and sit them at the table and say, all right, we just need to crank out what the church believes. Not just my church or your church or that church, but what does the church believe? And so some of these bishops and these theologians and these real smarty pants sat down at a big wooden table, I'm sure, with coffee and donuts and fruit trays, and they decided we need to crank out what the church believes. And so they came up with something called the Nicene Creed. And what this was was a creed about who God was. Specifically, they talked about God, the, the kind of the Trinitarian God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they came out with a statement that said, this is what the church believes. And uh, a few years later, about 65 years later, in the year 391 AD, someone wrote something called the Apostles' Creed. And they took this statement from Nicaea, and the, the statement about who God was, and they added some beliefs about God's purpose. And so they wrote this statement, which ended up becoming this bedrock, foundational, beautiful, poetic liturgy that we now call the Apostles' Creed. And so this creed was not about who God was, and it was written in kind of a very Trinitarian way. It's in three stanzas, and we're going to recite this together as a church a little bit later. It was written in these three parts, and it's not just about who God was as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it's about what his purpose was for the church and what Jesus' purpose was for all of Christendom. And so this creed becomes our statement of faith as the church. Not our statement of faith as Crosspoint Church, but the statement of faith as all of our church, basically the essentials of our faith. And the importance of this Apostles' Creed is that it contains the, the non-negotiable stuff. It's the stuff that 
any church who calls them themselves a church or any group who calls themselves a Christian, you have to be able to look at this creed and say, yep, I believe that. In fact, this whole creed is written up with statements saying, I believe in yada, 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 yada. And so this creed becomes this, this foundational peace for any church. In fact, if you are an individual or a follower of Christ or a church and you look at this creed and say, I'm not really sure if I believe about that, I would probably argue that your faith is, well, maybe a little shaky, maybe non-existent. Maybe you might call into question your faith altogether if you can look at this and say, I don't agree with any of that. Now, that being said, there are certainly some statements within this creed that have some funny wording, some discrepancies in it. For example, there is a statement that says that Jesus descended into hell. Well, when Jesus died, did he actually go to hell? Like, what, what does that mean? And then there's another statement that talks about the Holy Catholic Church. And it's just like, well, hold on a second. I'm not Catholic. Why, why, why do I believe? And well, these, these are some things that we're going to discuss. Hold on. Take it easy. We're going to get there. We've got five weeks left. But, but there are these bedrock foundational statements within this creed that we need to know as a church. And as a church, here's the thing, is that we can disagree on stuff. You and me, we, we, there are things that we can disagree on. And there are things that this church believes that maybe a church down the road doesn't necessarily believe. We could be talking about things like infant baptism or marriage equality. Or we could be talking about prevenient grace or what kind of things you should wear when you're preaching on a Sunday morning. It's Saturday. Don't laugh at me. I guess First House Campus, how you guys doing? Uh, it's Sunday. So I would still wear this thing tomorrow, so don't worry about it. But we, there's some things that we can disagree on. There are some things that we can sit down and have a civil conversation about and talk about what we believe God is saying to us in our spirit through his word. There is some, let's call them negotiables. But then there are some things that you look at that we cannot disagree on because they are the the firm foundation, the bedrock of the church. And those things are found in the Apostles' Creed. Those are the essentials of the faith. You gotta believe them in order to be a follower of Christ because those are the essentials of the faith. And so here's the thing. For the next five weeks, we're gonna be talking about the Apostles' Creed. And but the thing is, we don't preach creeds. We don't, we don't preach from historical statements. We preach from God's word. Because the Apostles' Creed in and of itself is not God's word. We, 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 you can't recite the Apostles' Creed and be saved. You can't recite or say aloud the Apostles' Creed and just all of a sudden you're, that makes you a follower of Christ. Well, not, not exactly. Let me put it this way. Um, we all see the moon, right? Like uh, every now, you know, once a month or whatever it is. I don't, I don't know. Um, we see the moon. We know it's there. And we, we see it. But it itself, it doesn't give off light. And it doesn't give off heat. The sun does that. 
The sun gives off light and energy and heat, but the moon doesn't do that. Rather, the moon is a reflection of the sun. We see the moon because of the sun. That's the same thing with the creed. We see the creed because of God's word. The creed is simply a reflection of God's word. And that's why we preach this, not creeds. The creed is important for us because it has some foundational beliefs, but we preach God's word from this pulpit. If anyone comes up here and preaches from anything other than this, go home. Okay? We preach from God's word. We don't preach from creeds. This is simply, uh, the creed is simply a reflection of God's word. That's why we're going to be in God's word. And today, specifically, we're going to talk about the church. And we're going to talk about the church's mission. We're going to talk about unity as the church. And I'm not talking about cross point like the unification of maybe North and South Campus. We love you guys. You are Crosspoint. We are South Campus. You are North Campus. Wasn't everyone turn around and say hello to South Campus? Ready right on that camera? Hey, everybody, we love you. Love South Campus. We are unified as a church, but we're also unified with a whole bunch of other churches in our city. We're not doing this thing alone. And so we're going to talk about what it means to be unified. Specifically, we're going to be reading uh, the third, from the third stanza of the Apostles' Creed. And this is what it says. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And so we're talking about the church and God's united mission through the church. And by church, again, I don't, I'm not talking about cross point. I'm talking about the church, like the, the capital C church, the whole thing. And when we talk about the Holy Catholic Church, it's not referring to the Roman Catholic Church. Um, there would probably be lots of people here who probably grew up in a Catholic church. Raise your hand if you grew up in the, the Catholic church. Yeah, lots of us. And so it's not saying that there's anything bad about the Roman Catholic Church at all. In fact, the word Catholic is a Latin word that means universal. And so uh, the Apostles' Creed has kind of gone through some word changes throughout the, the centuries. And sometimes it says the holy universal church. But for the sake of this ancient beautiful poem... This liturgy, we're going to say the Holy Catholic Church, but keep in mind that we're talking about the universal church. We're talking about all the church, the bride of Christ. We stand in solidarity with all other churches. We, we may not agree with them all. We may not do the same things. I would probably get shot at some services for wearing this while I preach, but that's all right. Because we're unified as the church. We stand with and love and support and cheer on the other churches in our city. Amen? Good. I'm glad you understand. We want to see other cities in our, in our city, or sorry, other churches in our city grow and thrive and succeed. We want to see revival in our city, right? And we want to be a part of that. But if we're not, that's okay too because the church is growing and thriving and people are getting saved and people are giving their lives to Jesus and people are getting baptized. But sometimes, 
here's where the difficulty lies in, is that sometimes we can't see the forest before the trees. Is when we are in our church community, sometimes we can just see what's ahead of us, and we see what our church is doing. And we're so ingrained and engrossed in what our church is doing that sometimes we lose sight of all the other kingdom building that's going around, on around us. It would be like going to a baseball game and being so consumed with your own experience that you completely miss the game altogether. Uh, this is kind of what I mean. Now is the time, fans. Uh, get on the uh, Twitter with a hashtag of the whole thing, AZ Data Strong Fan. Then you might see your fan photo at a Diamondback TV broadcast brought to you by T-Mobile. <laughs> I mean, look, look at the one on the right. Do you have to Would, make faces when you take selfies? Wait, one more now. Oh, there you go. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Better angle. Oh, check it. Did that come out okay? That's the best one of the 300 pictures I've taken look, of myself like, today. Every girl in the picture is locked into her phone. You know, the beauty of baseball is you can sit next to your neighbor and have a conversation, or you can just completely ignore them. Peralta knocks it into center. David tonight, two for two, a leadoff single here in the fourth. And nobody noticed. <laughs> Help us, please. Somebody help us. Yeah. We need to. Can we do an intervention? Now, I love, I love me a churro, okay? And I, I, I go to a baseball game. Sometimes you get a hot dog, right? But I want to go and I want to see the game. Uh, we were in New York last year as a family for vacation, and my wife and I and my father took my kids to a baseball game at Yankee Stadium, it was the Blue Jays uh, against the Yankees, uh, and it was the worst baseball game ever. It was 0-0 until the bottom of the ninth, and then the Yankees won off of like the, the dumbest way, like three walks and a single or something. It was the worst, but I was still engrossed in that game. I, I wasn't hiding behind a camera. Now, I am not saying that selfies are a bad thing. I'm sure that I have taken my fair share of selfies in my time. Now, I would argue that most of my selfies include other people. I don't know if you follow me on, on social media, at Cambers, hit me up. <laughs> but I do, a I do a selfie Sunday every week of my band because if, if, if it's me, if, if I'm claiming that it's me doing all the work, then I am grossly wrong because I am supported by an incredible team. But selfies can be a dangerous, dangerous thing. Because if we hide behind our own camera and we're so engrossed with ourselves, and sometimes we miss the people and the life going on around us, right? When we're stuck behind a camera, we happen to miss opportunities to speak into someone's life every now and then. And if you are just stuck behind your camera all the time and it's just you in those pictures, then there could be some narcissistic, egotistical things going on in your life. Ouch. Now, that being said, it's really easy for us to turn that thing off and put it in our pocket and then open our lives up to the things in the life that's going on around us. And sometimes the church is just so busy in selfie mode 
that, that we're missing God's greater purpose and greater vision and, and the kingdom work that is going on all around us. I'm not claiming that, that we are stuck in that vibe. I'm just talking about the, I'm still talking about the church. Sometimes we're so engrossed with our own experience that we're missing what God is doing in and around us. You can't sacrifice the mission for personal ambition. Oh, I just spoke to somebody. You can't sacrifice God's mission for personal ambition. And so I'm going to get you guys, if you've got your Bible, turn to Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 32. This is where we jump into the Bible, of course. If you don't have one of these, you need one, come talk to us. We want to give you one of these. Maybe you have it on your phone. Slide that thing open. Swipe right or left or whatever it is. Open up to Numbers chapter 32. And so where we are in God's story in Numbers 32 is that the Israelites have escaped Egypt. That they barely made it out alive. Millions, millions of Israelites have escaped Egypt. And this is about 40 years later. And God has told them when they escaped Egypt that I, God has said, I'm going to give you land. In fact, all 12 tribes are going to have your own giant, huge piece of land. And you are going to travel through the wilderness and you are going to receive this land. And it's about 40 years that, can you just picture what it would look like for millions of people to be traveling together in the wilderness for 40 years. You know, like I can't travel in my car with my own family of four for 20 minutes without being driven crazy. But can you imagine millions of people walking through the wilderness together? And over this time, they've be be become impatient and selfish and whiny and self-centered. I don't think they had phones back then, but they were taking selfies on tablets and little rocks and chiseling it in with another rock. I don't know what it looked like, but, but they were in selfie mode. They were so engrossed with, with their own experience through the wilderness that they were missing God's greater vision and God's greater purpose outside of their own experience. And so here it is, number, Numbers chapter 32 40 years, and they're standing on the edge of the Jordan River. And God says, all you got to do is cross this river. You are on the east side. As soon as you cross it, you're going to be on the west side, and there's going to be the city of Jericho. And all you got to do is get all 12 tribes together, and I, the Lord your God, will be with you, and you will conquer Jericho, and you will enter the promised land. You got a few miles left and one war. Let's get it done. Here we are on the edge of the Jordan, ready to occupy the land that God has promised to us after 40 years. And this is what happens in number 32, starting at verse 1. The tribes of Reuben and Gad, and I want you to remember that name, Gad, owned vast numbers of livestock. So when they saw that the lands of Jazir and Gilead were ideally suited for their flocks and herds, they came to Moses, Eleazar the priest, and the other leaders of the community. And they said, notice the towns of, notice these nine towns 
The Lord has conquered this whole area for the community of Israel and is ideally suited for all of our livestock. If we have found favor with you, please let us have this land as our property instead of giving us the land across the Jordan River. And so Moses is like, what? We, 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 we've been promised this land, and we've been walking for 40 years, and we're just miles away. We got just a little bit further to go, and you want to settle on the wrong side of the river. What, what is with that? We continue in verse 6. Do you intend to, this is Moses speaking to them, do you intend to stay here while your brothers go across and do all the fighting? That's the war with Jericho that they're speaking of. Moses asked the men of Gad and Reuben, why do you want to discourage the rest of the people of Israel from going across to the land the Lord has given them? Now there was this stipulation that everyone needed to cross the river together, all 12 tribes, and they all needed to conquer Jericho together. And they all needed to go take the land. They needed to enter the land together. And so they had a military responsibility to be a part of the fight in Jericho. And so that's why Moses is saying, you're going to discourage the people more than they already have been for 40 years if you leave now. Down to verse 16. They approached Moses and said, we simply want to build pens for our livestock and fortified towns for our wives and children. And funny how they talk about the cows before the wives. Husbands, uh-uh, don't do that. Been there. Then, after we have taken care of our animals and our wives and our children, then, verse 17, we will arm ourselves and lead our fellow Israelites into battle until we have brought them safely to their land. Meanwhile, our families will stay in the fortified towns we build here so they will be safe from any attacks by the local people. Now, what I see when I interpret that scripture is I see us first, God second. Just, just let us take care of our stuff, they say. Just let us take care of our animals and we'll, we'll put them aside and we'll make sure that our children and our wives are safe. Let us just take care of our stuff and then we will fulfill the military responsibility that we have for all of the tribes. Us first, God second. Verse 18. We will not return to our homes until all the people of Israel have received their portions of land. But we do not claim any of the land on the other side of the Jordan. We would rather live here on the east side and accept this is our grant of land. You, you can just take the land that we've been promised and you can just split it up against all the other ten tribes. We, we like what we can find here. Like, we like this. If it saves us a few more miles, if it saves us from just having to cross one more body of water, we'll just take this. And you can, you can do whatever you want with our other two plots of land. So are you, here's a question for you. Are you still 
in God's land if you settle just outside of it? Right? Like, are you still considered in the land if you just settle around it? Because when I read this, this is what Holy Spirit says to me. He says, you can, you can skirt around the border of being in God's will, but still be out of the promise. You, you, can, you can hover around the edge of God's will, but still be out of his promise. And you can kind of, you can be on the edges of the Jordan on the east side, just a few clicks away. We're, we're over here and we're, we'll help when you need us. But we just, we like this. The grass happens to be greener on this side for our cows. So when you skirt around the edge of being in God's will, it doesn't mean that you are still in his promise. You don't necessarily receive that. You can't sacrifice God's mission for personal ambition. It doesn't work that way. God is saying, no, 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 no. I have I've promised this to you. You are giving up what you see in the present for what I have for you in the future. Are you sure you want to do that? And here's the thing. Moses gives them what they want. He thinks about it, and he has um, a board meeting about it. And he says, all right, as long as you are willing to help us defeat Jericho, as long as you are willing to help us cross, you can have your land. And you guys can hang out on the east side of the Jordan, and the other ten tribes will all go get their land, and we'll split up your acreages amongst all the other tribes, and they get what they want. Moses reluctantly grants their request. They're willing to give away what God has promised for what they see in the present. And so, what happens to them? Well, what, what happens in the future? How does this affect other generations of people in the tribes of Reuben and Gad? Well, there's a story in Matthew 8 where Jesus is healing these people and he's teaching and all these miraculous things have been going on and Jesus is just getting a little worn out from all his, his, his work, his teaching, his healing. And so what he decides to do is escape the huge crowds of people who are following him and he just wants a little me time and he crosses this body of water. And this is what it says in Matthew 8, 28. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gadarenes, which tribe do you think is the region of the Gadarenes? Yeah. The, that's right, the tribe of Gad. When he arrived in this region, two men who were possessed by demons met him. They came out from the tombs and were so violent that no one could go through that area. Here's what I love about God's word, is that later on in this story, he, Jesus casts out these demons into a herd of what? Pigs. And these pigs all jump off a cliff. And so when you really think about that for a moment, just think about that. These Jewish people who had the success years and generations ago in cattle and in sheep 
all of a sudden, generations later, there are demons in people and their, their business plan is now in pigs. And if you're a Jewish person, you don't hang around pigs. They're unclean. They're unpure. You don't eat them. So somewhere along the line, when they skirted on the outside of God's will, somewhere the promise is gone. Where they were successful in cattle and sheep, they're now kind of successful in pigs. And Jesus throws them all over a cliff. Because you can't stay on the, you can't skirt around the edge of God's will in order to get his promise. You can't miss the greater vision for personal ambition. We are destined to fail when we sacrifice that mission for what we want and what we see in the present as opposed to what God has for us in the future. Somebody say amen. amen. This is where we get stuck as a church sometimes. And again, I'm not speaking about Crosspoint necessarily, although I'm sure we've been there at some point. But for all churches, it is we get stuck in this, what, what God wants for us right now where we know what God wants for our city and for our future. He, God is asking us to be in mission with him. In fact, he would even call it the great co-mission. Ever notice that? It's not the great mission of the church. It's the great co-mission of the church, meaning we do it together. We are not a church in and of ourselves. We are a reflection of God's greater purpose for the church, right? We are in co-mission with all of God's people. It doesn't mean we need to agree on stuff. We can disagree on stuff. That's all right. I mean, there are Oilers fans in this church. God, help us. We don't need to agree on everything. But we have these there's foundational beliefs. The things that unify us as a church are way more important than the things that divide us. Let me say that again. The things that unify us as a church are way more important than the things that divide us. Jesus says, in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of how many nations? Oh, all of them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you. When Jesus becomes the center of attention, churches grow and thrive and succeed in the name of the church, the universal church. Not just your church, not just my church, but the church. And we may not agree with everyone's vision statement, and we may not agree with all of the doctrines, and we may not agree on the dress code, and we may not agree on some of the other things. And that's not to say that those things aren't important, because they are. But the things that unify us as a church are way more valuable and way more important than the things that tear us apart from it. This is what it says... In Ephesians 2, starting at verse 19, he's talking about the temple for the Lord. 
So now you Gentiles, and unless you grew up Jewish, you are a Gentile. You are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's where we get that creed from, the apostles' creed. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We build it on him. We are carefully, I love this, we are carefully joined together. Not just like sporadically and not, not, not just scattered together, but we are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Many years ago, about 1700 years ago, a few church leaders sat down on a table and said, look, we need to talk about the most important things that unify us as a church. Let's not squabble about the other little things. Let's talk about what's important. Let's talk about the importance of people and how they can come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Let's talk about the important thing, the non-negotiables. What are the things that make us the church? And so they came together and they wrote a powerful statement of faith for all of the church. A beautiful, powerful, poetic piece of liturgy that I would love for us to declare together as a church. And in a moment, here's what I want you to do. And we're, in a moment, I'm gonna ask us to stand and recite the Apostles' Creed together. But here's the thing, I don't want you to just stand up and read it like you were a zombie. I don't want you to just stand up and read it with, with no emotion, with no forethought of the things and the power in which you are stating them. And we're gonna do this here at the North Campus. We're gonna do this at the South Campus. In fact, they're gonna be doing it at about the exact same time as we are here in the North. And so we are standing as a unified church. We're not gonna let a river divide us, not like the tribes did. We don't let a body of water get between us and the greater mission, but we're also standing and saying this in unification with Marysville Baptist and Smy Street Cathedral and St. Augustine's and Christ Central and all of these churches in our city who we may think differently and we may interpret some things a little bit differently, but the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ stays the same. That there are a whole bunch of people in the tens of thousands who don't know who Jesus is and need to. And so I'm going to ask you to stand as we recite this beautiful creed together. But I only want you to say it if you believe it. I, I only want you to recite it if you can powerfully and know without a shadow of doubt that you do believe that God the Father, that you do believe that Jesus, his son, that you do believe his Holy Spirit. So let's say this together as a church, as a unified body. Let's share this powerful, beautiful moment with so many other churches around our city. Let's say this together. 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Sometimes it's easy to say the words. Sometimes it's easy to sing them with a melody. But to stand firm with all of the church in solidarity and say, we believe these things together. Now let's get our hands dirty. Let's get our knees dirty. And let's start introducing people to the greater mission of Jesus Christ. Amen.